We are continuing the Lord's Prayer. Uh, actually, it, two weeks ago we started it by looking at the first few verses in Matthew 6, uh, five, verses um, 5 and 6, uh, that, that introduced the Lord's Prayer. This morning we're only looking at one verse from Matthew. But, we're going to also look at Luke 11, where the, we also have another version of the Lord's Prayer. So if you'll stand, um, I'll start with the Matthew... And then I'll add Luke 11, verses 1 and following. So from Matthew 6, 9, Our Father in Heaven. That's going to be the focus of this morning. Some background will be Luke 11, starting in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught His disciples. And He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And then jumping down to verse 9. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord. May be seated. One of the iconic movies of the 80s, I believe it was the 80s, Karate Kid. Karate Kid. I bet you not anyone in here has never heard of it, and probably most of you have seen it. So I won't go into great detail, but essentially you have a young man learning karate, Daniel, and you have Mr. Miyagi, the sensei, teaching karate. But he has a strange method, right? He brings Daniel out to his uh, kind of like a junkyard house thing, and he starts having him do what? Does anyone know what he starts him doing? Washing cars and waxing cars, right? Wax on, wax off. What was next? Painting the fence. Thank you. I actually need help. So he was painting. What was the wording? Paint up, paint down. I don't know. I know there was a bonsai tree and some other cool things. What you remember is later, of course, Daniel has that moment where he realized, ah, he was actually teaching me karate, even though I thought I was like doing all of his house chores. This is not how Jesus teaches. We, I think, wish it was when it comes to prayer. Jesus is very straightforward. In our passage, and looking at both Luke and Matthew, the disciples are asking, and we're asking, Jesus, show us how you pray. How do you do it? And I think we sort of pretend he did the Miyagi thing. He gets so straightforward, we're like, ah, oh, I see. It's kind of this slow, like, I, he doesn't. He's very straightforward. And he says, and this is the key point to this morning and to all of prayer, you will pray in the same way that you understand the love God has for you as a father. Your prayer life will be as strong or as weak as your view of your adoption. That is what Jesus is teaching. 
So if we are boring in our prayer life, it's because we don't grasp the love the Father has for us. Now the good news is, He gets that. The beautiful thing about Christianity is He gets that and He still teaches us. So let's look a little bit deeper at this and see how He specifically is teaching us in this passage. And again, specifically, our Father in Heaven. So here's the, here's the outline. Father, point number one. Point number two, our Father. And point number three will be in Heaven. So we'll kind of pick it apart. Our, he starts with Father. Now the most encouraging thing about Jesus with this question, teach us to pray, is He doesn't say, you can never learn. You are very distant, right? He jumps right in. Again, Mr. Miyagi does this thing that would make you think karate's going to take years to learn. And how much more will prayer take? I mean, if Jesus were the way we think of prayer, you'd think you would say, look, let's just do this. Let's just spend five minutes on our knees, think about whatever you want. After about six months, we'll build up a little bit of a callus. Then we can start actually thinking about Scripture verses. And we'll just build up to when you're like 30 years down the road, maybe you'll have some hope at prayer. What does he do? He says, okay, Father. Now, remember the scene. Jesus has been praying by himself, and one of the disciples asks him, when he's finished praying, he waits respectfully, and he says, teach us to pray. Teach us like John's disciples taught his, his, them to pray. That's interesting. Because it almost sounds like he's saying, he did his job, why aren't you doing your job? On the other hand, if they had learned so much from John, even though these might not have been John's specific disciples, then why would they need more information unless there was something unique about Jesus' prayer? And I think we know there was. There must have been something in the way he was praying. The intensity. Now, a lot of people with the Lord's Prayer will say, pray short prayers. And I would say, sure, I, I think that's true. We can pray short prayers, but Jesus prayed long prayers. Because if, if he had walked away, prayed the Lord's Prayer, and walked back, they would have never even known he was praying. They might have thought he was blowing his nose. It's that fast. It takes 15 seconds to say the Lord's Prayer. But whatever he was doing was so intimate and so amazing, they wanted to learn it. And I love the fact that Jesus turns right to them and says, here's what you do. And he gives petition. But the first statement is not a petition. It's a posture. Father. And in our passage, our Father in Heaven. It's a posture. It's a position. It's recognizing a reality. Where are you in regards to your view of being a son or a daughter of the King? In the Old Testament, that was not talked about much. It was not common. In fact, it was almost probably rare that anyone would have ever said, you know, God, your Father. But Jesus comes on the scene, and right away in the Sermon on the Mount, He can't get a verse or two down the road without saying, your Father, your Heavenly Father, over and over. And here He comes to prayer, and that's what He couches it in. J.I. Packer, in a quote that's very often quoted uh, from his book, Knowing God, in the chapter on adoption, he says this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. 
and of having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. I'm guilty. I think we all are. We all are guilty at times. That we really do try to even engage prayer on our own efforts. The very opposite of what prayer is, I think, starts with a horrible beginning because we so often are trying it out of our own strength. We're talking to the wall. The prayers are hitting the ceiling. We're not getting anywhere. And predominantly, it's because we don't recognize and spend time thinking and praying and meditating on our sonship. And that's what, uh, that's where Jesus begins. Father. But he moves. Um, actually, I wanted to actually make, sorry, an illustration that is maybe awkward, but uh, how, this has happened to us a lot. We'll go to a party or a gathering, uh, maybe a tailgate, where you think you're not sure if you're supposed to be there. Have you ever gone to tailgating at OSU? Raise your hand if you've ever tailgated around here. Okay, this is an example. We've had an occasion where we'll walk out, and we're Sooner fans, by the way, so we don't get tailgated. Right? We don't understand your strange ways. And all of a sudden, we're kind of walking around. Sorry, Jason, he understands tailgating. And we'll find a tailgate of some people that maybe we know, and we're starting, as parents, what are we doing? We're going, I wonder if we're, I mean, are we invited? Right? Do y'all, you know? I mean, there's some food, there's a lot of it. And then we look over, and to our horror, every one of our children has, are digging in with pizza and, and food, and we're like, no! Now, the reality is we probably would love to do the same thing, right? Kids think they're accepted. Kids see a food, and they, of course this is free. The whole tailgating world showed up for them. Just take your pick. That's actually good in our context. Jesus is saying, you're invited. So, point number one, Father, He's saying, you're invited. This is your party. It's the adult side of us that kind of gets stuck on it. We're like, I don't know. We, we kind of look. We wonder. We try. We dabble. And you know, even in those party situations, you'll still always feel a little bit insecure until someone like the host says, oh, you're included. Ah, then it's like second, you know. Um, Jesus is inviting us. That's, that's our first point. The, to address God as Father is an invitation. Point number two, he says, our Father. A lot of commentators, there's really three ways to look at that. One, it's just simply it's language. Our Father, it could be your Father, doesn't matter. Some will say, no, it's Jesus saying prayer is communal. And I think that's right. That's true. But the context, is, especially in Luke, Jesus was by himself praying. So for him to turn around and say, you should always pray in groups. Though we should pray in groups. We pray here. We pray in small groups. We pray with families. We pray with friends. I think there's something more profound about the word our. And it's this. Jesus is the perfect older brother. You know, in the prodigal son story, the older brother shuts the younger brother out. You can almost envision a childhood where the younger brother would love to have learned things from the older brother. And he was shut out for position. But Jesus, the perfect elder brother, is welcoming us in. He's saying, this is, you want to learn how to pray? Our Father. Come on. I want you to imagine Yo-Yo Ma saying to you, 
I'm going to teach you how to play the cello. Right? He plays the cello? Okay. And you and two friends get to sit down with Yo-Yo Ma, and he says, okay, here's, here's our cello. And he hands you his cello. Now play. And you, you play. Now hand our cello to him. Okay, and all three of you played the cello, and each time he says, it's our cello. You're not going to leave going, hey, to the other two people, we have a cello. You're going to leave going, we have Yo-Yo Ma's cello. We share his instrument. He kept saying this. When Jesus says, our Father, he's not saying, praying groups, though that's a fair interpretation, but he's saying, you are praying to our Father. Whatever access I have, you have. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this from God who through Christ reconciled us. Through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In verse 21, For our sake He made Himself to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, This is taking the Yo-Yo Ma thing even further because now Jesus is not just saying we share a Father, but He's saying you are sharing the same relationship I have with the Father. That's even more rich. In Colorado, we used to have, with the workout facility we went to, we used to have a yearly Christmas party and it always had karaoke. And this Emily's wondering when the story would come out. Well, I don't do karaoke, so I'm standing back with a friend, but our wives decided to do a song, and they did the song New York with Alicia Keys, and is it, who's the guy? Jay-Z, thank you. Well, the, there was a guy that had approached him and said, I know the song, I've got it perfectly memorized, I'll do Jay-Z, you two do the Alicia Keys part. Well, that's a really hard part to sing. But anyway, the three of them go over and they start talking to the karaoke guy. And I noticed, me and the husband over here, noticed the karaoke guy talking to the Jay-Z guy. Emily and the other girl are just kind of waiting for their turn to sing. Uh, and pretty soon the song starts, and the, the dude, could, he didn't miss a word. It was perfect. Flawless. You thought you were hearing Jay-Z. Then it gets to Alicia Keys. Now, she's a singer. What we realized later, what was being discussed, was that part of the song, unfortunately, was going to be Alicia Keys. It wasn't going to be the lip syncing. They didn't know it. So all of a sudden, you hear this guy rapping, not Jay-Z. Then you hear the Alicia Keys song, and everyone's hearing Alicia Keys, but it looks like Emily and Laura are singing Alicia Keys. And everybody's going, yeah. And they're just like, we're good. And only the husband and I are going, they have no idea. And for like maybe three weeks after that, people would walk up, you are an amazing singer. I don't think she ever said, well, it really was Alicia Keys. That is a picture of what I think it is to have Jesus as our elder brother. We get caught up thinking, we're doing it. Look at us. But Jesus is doing it. It's Jesus' righteousness. So when we go to God in prayer, we don't have to perform. We don't have to show up with our record. Jesus is the one whose record is on, on the scene. He is the one who has bought us the privilege. God loves you particularly. Don't get me wrong. But He sees Jesus all the while. 
and he sees that, and it's beautiful. And what's even more amazing is people might actually sometimes think we're godly. Right? They might, hey, that was awesome. Of course, the answer is no, it was really Jesus. But that's the way I think our Father works. We pray in Jesus. We pray with His righteousness. We approach God in Him. So he says, our and Father, but he also says, in heaven. Here we have Jesus explaining something very profound. Uh, the nature of God, and we're going to spend next week on, on hallowed be thy name, and thy kingdom come, and thy will be done. So more on the nature of God. But Jesus is saying his location in heaven is important. Um, we know that God is, is everywhere. But the idea that, that when Jesus says in heaven, he's separating the Father in heaven from earthly fathers. That's one thing he's doing. He's saying, this Father, unlike your earthly father, this Father is in heaven. This Father is perfect. This Father loves perfectly. This Father doesn't have the abusive issues or the other flaws that your own father may have. This Father is a deeply loving Father. But there's something else about the fact that He's in heaven, and it's this. It's the reminder that we are living by faith. We live by faith. Now, the, the unfortunate thing about words is that they become like symbols, right? A symbol. So like when you, when you draw, as a child, you draw a face, you end up using a triangle for a nose, right? It's a symbol. Now, I don't know if any of you think your nose looks like a triangle. It doesn't. But for some reason, children go, ah, that's the closest symbol. And unfortunately, we do this with words. So we hear, live by faith, and we've made a symbol out of that in our brain, and we just tune out. Don't do that. Okay? What you have to do is become like an adult artist and go, oh, there's like nostrils, which are actually holes. And, and there's like, okay, that's what we're doing with Jesus right now. We're going a little bit deeper and more 3D. That, that this idea that God is in heaven means you and I can't see Him. Right? And Jesus on earth wasn't with His Father. Right? On earth, Jesus was not with his father, so he constantly pulled away and prayed. He longed to be with him. And the goal is, then in prayer, is that we are, and we're going to see next week, longing for God to come. Not only finally, but even in the intermediate time, by our lifestyle, by what we do, by our thought processes. What does that mean? This is one of the most beautiful aspects of New Testament theology that I think I miss so poorly, and that is this. And I still don't know how to articulate it well. But we have two natures. We have our old flesh, our old man, and we have the new creation, right? We live out of the old creation. We live by sight. Right? We're like Peter getting out of the boat. We're starting to walk, and we start to sink. Why? Because we look at ourselves. Any time you look at yourself, you will sink. You're never going to have a Christian life where you will look at yourself and rise. Look what I'm doing. It's always going to be because of Jesus. Walter Marshall, I go back and read him over and over. You can get it for 99 cents on Kindle or you can buy like a $20 updated version. The Gospel, Mystery of Sanctification. This is like one of his major theses in the whole book. And it's this, that the problem with probably most of us in our Christian lives is that we think Jesus is redeeming 
in fixing our broken nature. And he's not. He gave us a new nature. And so what is sanctification? It's learning to live out of that new nature more and more. That's why saints who have been walking with Christ forever are rarely proud of themselves. Because what they're doing is not redeeming their broken selves. They're, they're living more and more into Christ. Abiding in Him. More of their emotions and responses, the, the things that inform their, their desires, are becoming more from Christ in their new nature. But here's the good news. We, if we are in Christ, have that nature. You get it all. It's not that He holds it back. It's that we hold it back. Because we don't walk by faith. I want to draw... Here's why we looked at Luke 11. It just hit me like a ton of bricks when I looked at it this week. In the, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the, uh, this part below it about giving your child a stone instead of bread, that's actually later in Matthew as well. But Matthew doesn't end it like, like Luke does. Asking you, you know, it says, uh, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. How many of you, when you heard that, thought, really? Really? I've heard this. This is not what I believe to be true. Or, it's not what I've seen to be true. Then, of course, he explains. What father among you would give, if the son asked for a fish, would give a serpent or an egg? I mean, I don't know why these are the things. Maybe you'd get something different than an egg or a serpent. I don't know. Um, Or if they asked for an egg, a scorpion. But he says, if you then who are evil, this is Jesus. This is not like some later made up thing. This is Jesus saying, if you are evil, and he just assumes it, how much more will your Father give you, ready for the loud gong, the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Jesus is not saying, you'll be converted when you ask. Though that could be, you could say that would be conversion as well. He's saying, as Christians who have the Spirit, we need more measure of the Spirit. Not like you're getting more, like you're a court short or whatever, but that we live blindly. And when we pray, what is the heart of our prayer? For the Spirit. What does the Spirit do? The Spirit is why you are a child of God. You are born again. The Spirit lives in you. You are a new creation. And so the heart of prayer has to begin and it has to have in the middle and have at the end saturation in this truth of our adoption. It's, it's got to be everywhere. You can't even begin to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, if you don't believe you've been adopted and you're not living out of that reality. It's free and it's beautiful. Is this how you pray? What is it that you stumble with when you pray? The problem is, if you try to pray in the morning, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, we wake up and we're a little sore. We're a little tired. Maybe we feel guilty about something. Maybe we're angry. Um, I was reading about writing. There's these things called morning pages. Has anyone heard of morning pages in writing? It's just this kind of new little bit of a TM uh, version of writing where you just, if you write three pages, You'll clear the cobwebs, you'll get your guilt behind you, and then you can move on to your day. And even like businessmen and people are getting into this. Okay, this is not a suggestion. Don't go write morning pages. You can. But it rather, what it's showing is we all wake up aware 
of the fact that we are not okay. We wake up aware of the fact that we are needy. And I think one of the reasons we hate prayer, if we do, if we don't hate prayer, often what we mean is we're just really good at forcing ourselves into rote things. But if, or we just hate the fact that we're about to be exposed. Because true prayer is complete exposure. Because what you're confessing when you pray is, I have nothing. There is nothing apart from Jesus in me. We were never created to be great people. I hate to tell you that. It's a lie. The American dream can be a lie. The church should be, like, we're subversive. We're telling the world, it's not true. You need Jesus to be great. And it will never be Jesus helped you become great, but your greatness is because Jesus. The greatest person is the one who's least seen, as Jesus is more seen. So prayer will only become beautiful when you're willing to go and die. Die to yourself. Die to all the things that you want to be. And just say, Jesus, I am yours. Now why is that so hard? He loves you and you're adopted. Why is that so hard? Because we don't think we'll get good stuff. We think his way will be awful. We won't get the promotion. We won't get the house. We won't get the relationship. We won't get the healing. He's really a mean God. That's what we believe. And Jesus is saying it's not true. That's of the devil. God is good. God loves you. Run to him. A few days ago, my son, they're reading through Mark with Emily, and Coleman was reading. I said, Coleman, what are you reading? He said, Mark 5, and I asked him to read it out loud. And he said, are you going to use that in the sermon? So I think I will. Uh, and you all know the story, but it's this woman who's ill. She had a bleeding problem. And she'd gone to every physician and every possible type of healing she could go to, and nothing was working. Um, and so she goes up to Jesus and she touches his garment. And he says, Who touched me? Now, KU got beaten yesterday. OSU won. Anyone see that game? Did anyone watch the OSU game yesterday? I was like totally into that game. How exciting was that game? This is actually not part of the story. I'm just saying, how awesome was that? We, we didn't watch the OU game. You'll be proud of me. We didn't even watch the OU game. But after the game, everybody storms the court, right? Like our, my brother-in-law and his son were there, and they actually got pictures with players. And um, Imagine the storming moment happening, and one of the players going, who just touched you? Or who just touched me? I mean, can you imagine that scene? And the other guy, what are you talking about? We're all, like, about to die. This is horrible. Right? We're all, like, camera phones are probably falling and getting crumbled. So Jesus is being crumbled, and someone touches his garment, and he says, who touched my garment? And his disciples are like, what? A lot of people touched you. No, no, no. Someone specifically touched me. And so Jesus, turning around, asks again, who touched me? And finally this woman, knowing what had happened to her, which is profound. She already knows she's healed. Says, uh, comes up trembling, falls down, thinks she's in trouble because he looks slightly angry maybe. And he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. First of all, what you have to believe is all these people are touching him, but not very many of them had faith. Only this one must have had some sort of faith. But this touch meant something. 
Secondly, her faith was so strong, she knew immediately she'd been healed. Something was different. And I think that picture is a great picture for prayer. I've used the Velcro wall illustration before. The old David Letterman, you jump on the Velcro wall and you stick, you know. That's what she's doing. She's just jumping in, touching his garment, thinking if nothing else, he is so powerful, so amazing, this can do it. And I think the question is, are you sick? If you don't think you're sick, your prayer life will never go well. Because why are you praying? If you don't think you need Jesus, if you don't think you're sinful and broken and that your little element of sin that you're hiding are enough to sink heaven, then you don't need Jesus. But when we realize we are broken, we need Jesus. When we cling to Him, we run to Him. And with Him, we can cry, Abba, Father. And He sends His Spirit into us crying, Abba, Father. That is the posture of prayer. And in that posture, we will begin to long for what He longs for. 